Friends, welcome to This Week in the Way of Jesus, a podcast by the 8th Street Church. We are a spiritual community of hope and transformation that is trying to live this way of Jesus. You'll find both weekly spiritual practices and weekly sermons on this podcast feed. For more information about the 8th Street Church, please visit our website, www.8thstreetchurch.org, or our social media pages linked in the show notes below. As we continue in service, I want to invite all the kids who are grades kindergarten through fifth grade downstairs with Pastor Hope. Um, And as they go downstairs, I'm going to read our scripture text for us today. So would you stand in the honor of reading God's word? So hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Oh gosh, that's on the back. Sorry. (laughs) You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burdens from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms bloodstained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. This is the word of the God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Well, I just have one more announcement, if I could make this. Pastor Hope asked me to do this. Uh, We are now inviting, because the building is so small, we're now uh, using our downstairs community space uh, for our elementary kids' uh, worship. So when kids leave from this space, they go downstairs and they worship together in the space that's just downstairs, the place that's right next to all the restrooms. And so she asked me, and I would like to reiterate her request, and that is, as you're entering into that space, if you have to leave this space, We invite you to be reverent because kids are learning, kids are worshiping, and so if you could just be quiet with your conversations, if you need to go down in that space, that would really help her and that would really help us. So thank you for that. And also thank you to Hannah for reading this text. This text is usually a text that's read during the Advent season. I'm sure uh, most of you have heard it before, but this year we are presented with it uh, during the season of Epiphany. The God that Isaiah saw was interested in people, this people of a place who suffered enormously under a chaotic political system. If you watch the news, you'll see that not much has changed in 1,500 years since Isaiah's day. There is so much in Isaiah's day that we could identify with. Even as I woke up this morning, I was praying for our church, our city, our world, and I found that my desires 
lied here. I am interested in that God, the God that Isaiah talked about, the God of creation, the God that the scriptures say shows up, the God that had the power to disrupt pharaohs and emperors and Caesars, the God that Isaiah saw. And because of the corruption of Isaiah's day, and because it's not too much different from ours, so Isaiah's vision for a new opportunity and a new way of doing things can be ours as well. Isaiah lived in the real world, as we do, so it stands to reason that his vision is about a real possibility in, in a real context. We could look at this text, this text that's so famous that we read during Christmas and Advent and now in Epiphany, and we could say that this text is about a place. And this text is about people. And this text is about politics. Place, people, and politics. That's involved in what we call around here at the H Street Church a parish. Now, we here at the H Street Church have used the old word parish a lot. We've even, you've even heard it just a few minutes ago when we talked about parish groups. Parish groups are just small groups. But the reason that we use the word parish around here is because we're committed to this place, this body of land. We could say that we have a land theology and we have this hope within the creator God that the creator God is working to redeem and restore all of creation, even this place, even the land. We don't think that the land is theologically neutral. Where uh, chaos and violence has broken into our world, ours, like Isaiah's story, is, it goes like this. Hey, God is about remaking the world, and God invites us into this task. So we want to invest here, even in this place, to take care of this land. We care about and seek to live and carry ourselves well in this space so that we might do good on behalf of our neighbors. Because perish, this, this ancient word perish, is also about the people who live on this land, the people who live in this place, our neighbors, who they are, what they do, how they live, what their, what their needs are, all of that stuff is important to us. They live here. They go to school here. They drive on roads here. They have to buy or grow food here. And this is our city. This is our place. This is, as it is our place, this is their place. So we love and and we work this land together for the sake of our neighbors. We even do that very literally with the farms that we've been building. And then there's politics, this, this sticky word, politics. Politics is really about how we go about working the land so we can live together in this space. That's a politic. Now, when we hear the word politics, especially in church, we assume that it means hot topic issues like swinging way to the right or way to the left. And a lot of churches, because of that danger, they say, we have a no politic policy because we want to avoid controversy. And instead, what they do is they just simply stick to religious issues. But that's a problem because religious issues are political issues. That's why, that's why suicide bombers carry out acts in the name of God. Now, I'll have you know, that the H3 Church, here at the H3 Church, we do not have a no politics policy. That's not us. Because each week we make a political statement, and you just made a political statement just a few minutes ago. It went like this, we want to be good neighbors to one another. 
we do not have our lives together, and we need God, and we need one another. That is a political statement. We don't have a no-politics policy because the Christian story is itself political. In King Jesus of Nazareth, Son of God, Son of David, God's plan is to set the world right. Isaiah says it this way, He will be called Wonderful Counselor, a Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And Isaiah says, the government will rest on his shoulders. When there is injustice, we Christians need to speak out about it. When our neighbor is in need, we clothe and feed and serve and teach. And we're motivated by this because Jesus has been the very best neighbor to us. The apostles themselves called this good news. Now, if you've been here for very long, you've heard proclamations about what it means to be the people of God in this space. And and we've spoken about political issues within the Christian story, encased those political issues within the Christian story, whether that be immigration or school and church shootings or racial violence or homelessness or education or healthcare or sexual misconduct, power and greed. Now, I'll admit, these are very complex and complicated and even chaotic issues, and sometimes they leave us with questions. How do we go about handling these? But as a church, we want to be brave, and we don't back away from or turn away from asking these big questions. We actually think that this is the place to ask the big questions. We've been a church together for nearly seven, a little over seven years, almost eight years, And over the last seven years, we've prayed together after raising money after a shooting. And we've championed those who have fostered children. And we've visited those in prison. And we've fed the hungry. And we've stood with educators. And we've advocated for throwaways. We've worshiped with others that don't look like us. We've communicated with our representatives about what's best for our neighbors. And we've done so with love and respect. We've sent others to counseling and to seek healing. We've sat all night in hospitals. We've rebuilt homes and a church building. And then we said, hey, we want to give these away as gifts. We felt the responsibility to condemn the words of Christian leaders who don't tell the truth. And we've confessed and asked forgiveness when we have gotten it wrong, which we have done time and time again. We've done that many times. And the reason that we do this is simple. We want to get in on God's plan for the world. Because if we can discern the presence of God in this reality, here, in this particular spot of land, our behavior becomes, to some degree, a response to what God is actually doing in this place. Like, Like me, our brothers and sisters in parts of our city and our world, who have important things on their minds and have real concerns, they need God to show up in a real way. Because honestly, Life for some has been very, very difficult, like the days of Zebulun and Naphtali, Isaiah says. Now, in Isaiah's day, the leaders of the nation did not care about the parish. In fact, most of Israel's kings were evil, and they did not carry out justice for the people or for the land. And eventually, they found themselves in this raging war that lasted for years. The land was absolutely obliterated by the Assyrians in 733 BC in a campaign led by a deplorable character named Tiglath-Pileser III, and Israel was engaged in this struggle that lasted for a long, long time. Pain and suffering always uh, follows violence in war, 
and the effects can be felt long after the bombs stop dropping. A couple years ago, in the New York Times, they ran a story about reunions between parents and their children that were being hosted by North and South Korea. And some of those families had been separated for more than 50 years, but they were limited to three-hour-long meetings. Now, one of the reunions, a, 70 year old, a 71-year-old man named Mr. Ree uh, met his 88-year-old mother, Mrs. Lee, for the first time since 1953 because of the Korean War. The man held a picture for his mother to see, and he said to her, Mother, this is father. Mr. Ree was showing Mrs. Lee a photograph of her deceased husband who had stayed in the North and she hadn't seen in all those years. It's within this kind of setting that Isaiah's vision is presented to the people of this war-torn area. And then, in the midst of their brokenness, a new hope starts with this word. Nevertheless. Nevertheless is what Isaiah says. Now, that's an interesting word in the middle of this ravaged and desolate land. Nevertheless is a daring and it is a reckless word. Nevertheless is like hanging on to a deep secret. It's like holding on to the knot that's tied at the end of a rope. Nevertheless awakens something in you that you can't say out loud or even admit to your closest friend a secret about the way things could be. That Maybe it's not going to be the way things are anymore. Nevertheless, Isaiah says, there will be no more darkness for those who were in trouble because the time is coming when he'll make that whole land, that whole place glorious. And the people who have walked in darkness will see a great light. The abuse of oppressors and the cruelty of tyrants, it's gone. Done away with deliverance as, as surprising and sudden as Gideon's old victory over Midian. In fact, the boots of those invading troops, along with their shirts soaked with innocent blood, will be piled up in a heap and they'll be burned. A fire will be burning for days. And the reason for all of this, the reason for our hope, Isaiah says in his poem and his vision, is because for unto us a child has been born. It's for us. And there's a gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world, Isaiah says, and his names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness. His ruling authority will grow, and there will be no limits to the wholeness he brings. Isaiah says, in the midst of all the despair, nevertheless, the rule of God will show up in a baby, and he will be the one that disrupts the chaos, and justice and peace will reign throughout the land. Now That is wonderful. Except my question is this, can a little child, one who is powerless, really do this kind of work in a chaotic and in such a chaotic and complex world? Well, we've seen children put, halt, put a halt to the orders of politics as we know them to be before. We've talked about this. I've showed you this picture before. John F. Kennedy, Jr., John F. Kennedy's presidency was was, uh, go ahead and put that up there, Evan, was consumed with trying to navigate the Bay of Pigs. The Cuban Missile Crisis and, and Bull Connor with his segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever politic. There's something amazing about this picture. The picture of a little boy, John F. Kennedy Jr., playing under the desk of his dad in the Oval Office. And when we look at this, it kind of stops time. And 
helps us to imagine that there could be a new reality. Or maybe you've seen this picture before. Everybody was surprised when five-year-old Jacob Philadelphia asked President Barack Obama, does your hair feel like mine? The moment is captured in a photo as President Obama bends down and says to him, go ahead and touch it, dude. It's kings bowing to children. You may have seen this. This little boy with Down syndrome broke through security and rushed to give the Duke and Duchess of Sussex a hug and melted the world's heart when any reached over to scratch Prince Harry's beard. Only a little child like that could break through security. And in a protest, after Ferguson, a boy with tears streaming down his face hugs a police officer. It's, it's a picture of possibility. It took a boy to reveal the struggle, the resentment, the violence, and the racism that's embedded in every single one of us. Images like this, they, they stop time and recapture for us the very politics of Jesus who said, do you want to see what the new God kingdom looks like, the new politics in the world? You need to look at a little child. Images like this and pictures that Isaiah draws are gospel to people who find themselves in the midst of despair, who need God to show up. Images like this reveal a God-active turn in the pages of our lives. And that is why even here in a little church on 8th Street, we, held up, we hold up a little girl and we dedicate her to the Lord. It's so that we can imagine a good future that is ahead for us. It's in sweet little girls like this that, prom, that, that, that the promise of Isaiah maybe, just maybe, be for us and maybe right. Nevertheless, that word brings out hope for us in our own parish. These are wonderful images of children interrupting the political system as we know it. And I even believe that they are sacred and point to the sacred presence of God in our midst. And for that, I'm grateful. But we do live in the real world again. And we do have to ask the question, what about the images that we have seen in the last 24 hours, even as the world rages on? What do we do when extremists continue to gain more power? What, what, what do we do with continual investigations of people at the highest levels? First, it's Donald Trump, and now it's Joe Biden. What do we do with these more and more mass shootings? What do we do about schools continuing to be stripped of their resources? And what do we do with this national crisis when it comes to mental health and poverty and hunger and homelessness? What do we do with these things in light of the text, the vision, the song that Isaiah sings for us today? Here comes my pastoral word for that, all right? Are you ready? I don't know. I don't know. Can I just confess that to you? I don't know. I've got some guesses, but it would be dishonest and disingenuous for me to pretend that I do know when I don't. And frankly, I don't really trust anyone who says that they do have the answer to these complex things. The suffering of the people here and the twisted nature of, of how people protect place, and the obscure and deplorable politics has left me with questions. Lots and lots of questions. I'm not sure we understand this level of suffering. This is one of the key issues of faith. It is actually doubt and the questions about suffering in the world in light of a good and holy God. Now, I know intellectually that the Christian story is one of a God 
who spiritually and literally is interested in the salvation of people who are broken. And theoretically, I can tell that story, but how I reconcile Isaiah's vision with the vision that I saw, that I see on the news is just something that I, I can't do. I don't have many answers, but I do know this. Questions are welcome at the 8th Street Church because God welcomes our questions. Now, some think that people having questions means that they are giving up the work of engaging, that they have stepped away from faith as it relates to people and places and politics. And I actually think it's the opposite. I actually think questions drive us to reimagine our parish. They drive us to reimagine what this space can be and how we minister to people who are broken. They drive us to get involved with our neighbors, to be curious and, and to seek out the good of the land and the place. And they drive us to choose a new political way. The confession that King Jesus is Lord is to join with the saints throughout the ages who have asked questions, questions like this. Could there be a government like the one Isaiah speaks of? Could there be a new way of living in the world? They ask questions like this. Who dares envision such a thing? Who has the audacity to believe and conceive of a politic that, that places the hurting first? Or, or the kind that believes that the chaos can be reordered through, in and through the acts of mercy and love and forgiveness, acceptance, compassion, generosity, hospitality, and justice. Or who? Who could, who would, who could believe that, uh, that things could change when one calls on people to be brave on behalf of their neighbors? Now, maybe the point is not that we should have the answers when it comes to the difficult things in life. But maybe the point is that we should be asking the questions. I'm suspect of people with all the answers, but I am enthralled by people who are willing to ask hard questions. And those are the people that I'm wanting to join ranks with. People who ask questions like this. Can we pray for these concerns as a first resort rather than a last one or not even praying at all? People who ask questions like, how does our spending or our eating, or our living impact our neighbors? Is it good for them, or does it bring them harm? I'm wanting to get with the people who ask, do I concern myself with my own issues, or do I consider the needs of others? I'm interested in joining the ranks of folks who ask the really hard questions like this. Are we sensitive to what God is doing around us, or are we fixated on our own? I'm interested in getting with people who ask, what kind of land would this be? And the kinds of people would we be if we lived in this with such questions? Is there a government like the one that Isaiah talks about? I, I don't know. But maybe the point is not whether there is or not. Maybe the point of Isaiah is this. Well, at least it can be imagined. And John Wesley could imagine it. And he famously said, the world is my parish. And in it, he advocated for justice. He started schools. He became a healthcare professional. He reformed a political system. And he mentored William Wilberforce, the abolitionist that stopped the slave trade in Europe 100 years before it ever happened here in the United States. And I know the people of the 8th Street Church can imagine it because it has led to a deep sense of care for our parish, the local one here and the global one beyond. The people of the H Street Church care about this place, Midtown in Oklahoma City, 
and a wider world. They care about the people here, people that have been oppressed and violated and abused, and they are willing to ask the hard questions. Seek these, seek out the answers with expectation and hope. Ask what God is doing in the world, and they're willing to imagine that it doesn't have to be this way anymore. So they're willing to get involved. And I know this. I know that the, I know that the apostles, they could imagine it. And I know the saints imagined it. And so have the Christian people throughout the world today. And they remind themselves, they reminded themselves, and they could imagine the vision each time they gathered, they would do it together, and they would do it by telling the story that we tell every single week. And it goes like this. You've heard it. At dinner on the night before Jesus was betrayed by those he came to save. After all, all of his dinner, after all dinner, he, he had with his disciples, he took off his clothes, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, and then he washed their feet which was a shocking political act of love and service. And then he said to them, as I've done this to you, so I want you to do this for one another. And his extension, his invitation is an extension for us to do what he has done, to get in on what he is doing, to go about doing what he's doing and serving in the way he is serving. And we can imagine this way when we're reminded that he took the bread and he broke it after giving thanks and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And whenever you eat of it, I want you to do so in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after supper, he held up the cup. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant that comes in my blood. And whenever you drink of it, I want you to do so in affectionate remembrance of me. New covenant is just a new way of doing things in the world. In this place, among this people, in a new politic. One of the things that John Wesley said was that communion is salvific, which means that this is the place where we actually get saved. It's at this place when we come to this table every single week that we're saved from our ways, and we're saved from our selfishness, and we're saved from our past, and we're saved into a new story. It's the beginning place to join the work of God as God does this work of God in the world. So, you are welcome to this table. I want to let you know that our bread is gluten-free and our wine is non-alcoholic so that there are no barriers. Anybody who wants to participate and come, you are welcome to come. I want to let you know also that this is not a Church of the Nazarene table. This is not uh, the 8th Street Church table. It's certainly not my table. This is the Lord's table, and he invites us. He invites us to his table. So uh, I want to invite you, when you come, to move out the outside of your aisles and outside of your rows and come down the outside aisle and approach one of these servers and listen to what they have to say. And then when you get to them, I invite you to dip the bread into the cup uh, and eat it in joyful remembrance of this new way to live in the world. Also, in this season of Epiphany, we recognize that there are so many of us who are anxious for God to show up in the world. And there are burdens that you are carrying. So we've left lighters here. And in the season of Epiphany, if there is something that you're praying about or a burden that you need God and others to carry with you, we invite you after you receive to just light one of the candles. If all the candles get lit, that's okay. Just choose a candle with you in your mind and say, I'm, I'm going to be praying for that burden. But also it represents the burden that I carry. 
And then in front of us during the season of Epiphany, we have the baptism font. So you can come to the table, receive, light a candle if you'd like, and then if you would, if you, uh, would like to, you can dip your fingers into the baptism font, remembering that you're a part of a new family. You've been invited to a new way of being. And so just feel the water if you would. But friends, this is the invitation to the new way. This is how we begin taking care of this place and the people in it. And where God begins the work of answering our deepest questions so that a new politic might emerge. So friends, when you are ready to come to the table, please come. Friends, each week we invite our congregation to respond to what they have heard by entering into a weekly spiritual practice. You can find that episode to practice and enter into this way of Jesus in the podcast feed. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you wherever you go.